Previously on Funny Science Fiction. The beanbag. But uh, for a while we had Fillion's beanbag in the, uh, which I guess is, sounds like the name of a book, you know. <laughs> I read it when I'm wearing dresses by Fred Diaphanis. I read Fillion's <laughs> Hey, this is Carrie L. Jones, and you're listening to Funny Science Fiction Podcast. The podcast that normalized calling someone a scruffy-looking nerf herder and turned it into a compliment. All right, so our guest today has been around the Hollywood scene for, for quite some time, and a lot of his work has been behind the camera in the special effects and the studio makeup department, but he's been involved in a lot of movies, a lot of things that you're very, very familiar with. However, lately, you may have seen him bring a certain comic book Wookiee Bounty Hunter to life on the screens of the book of Boba Fett. I would I was originally going to do a, a you know a Wookiee scream there but that didn't seem like a good thing. <laughs> anyway, we are proud to welcome Carrie Jones aka Black Chrysanthemum to the Funny Science Fiction podcast. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Glad to be here. What a what an introduction. <laughs> I like it. Well, it it had been worse if I would have done the Wookiee scream, so I'm glad I didn't. So I, uh, I mean, you know, the Wookiee scream is pretty iconic. So I, 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 this, and actually, to hear you do it might even be better. <laughs> do it, Tim. Nope, nope, not gonna do it. So you could always uh, edit it out if it's terrible. <laughs> no, Nick would. That's the thing. Nick would not edit it out. I know I Nick. We could. <laughs> so would. so, Carrie, we've got lots to talk about with you here today. Uh, you have your career in special effects, your work in acting as well. You've been on both sides of the camera. But before we talk about any of those other things, there's a giant Wookie in the corner that we have to talk about first. So, uh, for those who aren't aware or who haven't caught on yet. You play Black Chrysanthemum on the book of Boba Fett. And I don't know about anyone else, but I giggled when you came on screen and you growled. And I was like, oh my God, who's that? I had no idea who Black Chrysanthemum was. I had to do some serious research. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, all of a sudden I was like, I want him to be my new best friend. I have to figure out who this guy is. Uh, so if you would, please tell us about how this role came about for you and how you got the role of Black Chrysanthemum. You, you and me both. I mean, when it when it came around, uh, uh, it, I, I was told it was a Wookiee, but I wasn't I wasn't told uh, specifically what which one. So quite frankly, I thought it was like some. I don't know. I, I thought maybe it was Chewbacca's backstory. Who 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 knows? I I don't know where my mind went with it because they they were very close to the chest that I didn't really know too much. Um, and then once I finally was told who it was, then I had to do the same thing. I had to do the research, and then once I kind of you know, found all the graphic novels. I said, whoa, this dude has a really awesome backstory, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and a sorted history with just about everybody in the Star Wars canon, which was awesome. You know, he right? has a base to run with everyone, uh, which is great. So, so, so it really excited me uh, once I really kind of did the research. And then, and then the other thing was, it was like, it was like I had to take a deep kind of gulf because, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan. And I know how voracious Star Wars fans are as me being <laughs> one of them. So I was like, I can't mess this up. So the first <laughs> month after I got the role, I was like terrified. Because <laughs> I said, man, if I mess this up, this is just going to be so bad. You know? so, that, so that was the other part. It was like just figuring out kind of, kind of, you know, what I could bring to it. This is the first time this guy's ever been, you know, in live action ever. Uh, uh, so, you know, he, yeah, so it, it was a, it was a 
was a lot on my mind for for a solid <laughs> few months as, <laughs> before we even started filming. You know, it was uh, pretty crazy, but it was awesome. You know, it was great. You know, it's like one of the first movies that I saw in a movie theater was was Empire. So nice uh, to, to now kind of be in it is 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 like some weird out of body experience. Childhood yeah, dream bet. come true is what that is. <laughs> yeah, it is oh, oh, for certain. For certain. So, Carrie, let me ask you this: with being a Star Wars fan, and I always, and I originally wasn't going to ask you this question, but I always love to. Now that you said that you are a Star Wars fan, I, I, I need to know. You said the first movie you, that you remember seeing was was Empire, but where where is your entry point for Star Wars fandom? Was it, in fact, Empire that got you hooked, or was it Return of the Jedi, or was it something else that said, "Man, this is where I want to hang my hat" as far as fandom is concerned? Well, well, because you know, I I, I wasn't born yet when when the first i was actually it came out the year after i was born so i was one i hadn't seen you know a new hope yet and so when empire came out i was old enough to go to the theater to see it right uh so and when i went to the theater to see it i remember we got tickets you know took buses across town to get to get up to the theater and uh from pittsburgh pennsylvania and uh and you know we were late right and so i'm freaking out that my family wants to get popcorn and candy and i'm like hey, guys forget that let's get inside we're <laughs> so I, get in there when I, I remember it's pitch black all the seats are filled and i'm walking down the the aisle you know and, and because we came so late our seats weren't together so i think i was sitting over here with maybe my mom or baby by myself and someone was behind me someone else my brothers and sisters were all over and uh but when i walked in it was like the beginning scroll you know, and I had missed just oh, yeah. the very, very part of it. And I was, you know, and I'm reading it and I did not want to sit in my seat because I was afraid if I turned away to sit down, I'd miss something else, you know, and they're, they're trying to drag me into my seat, like, oh, sit down. And I sat down and I watched it all the way through until the lights went up. You know, my family wanted to leave. I was like, I'm not, I want to look at the credits. I want to see who, every single person that had anything to do with this and nice. remember their names and the lights went up and you know, the ushers were coming in to start cleaning up. And that's when I finally was like, all right, I'm leaving. And my family was waiting outside for me. And so I think in terms of Star Wars goes, it was that, it was, it was Empire. And then of course, you know, Jedi came out and, 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 you know, I was trying to make me like a little, little rancor puppet at home and trying to draw it. And I think they had like, you know, Star Wars cereal that on the back of it, you can cut out like different things. You mm -hmm. know, I think there was the Chewbacca mat, like different things on the back of the box you cut out to make masks. And yeah, I remember, I remember it was those. like a little, a little book that I had a coloring book that in the back of the book, it had Wookiee cookies. <laughs> so there was a recipe with that were Wookiee cookies. And actually all they were was oatmeal cookies. That's what they were, but they called them Wookiee cookies. So I'd always want to make those. So that's, that's kind of what, what kind of, you know, had a Star Wars lunchbox, the whole nine, man. So, so when I say I'm a fan, I, I, whatever you you know you want to call it, I, I am a hundred percent that. I love it. This is great. I love that so much too. There's there's so much of your what you just said that reminds me of my own experiences growing up because Empire, I was one when when New Hope came out, so I never saw that in the theater originally. Uh, I remember going to Empire. I remember going to Return of the Jedi. You know, and I've seen every movie in the theater since then. You know, and I remember being all excited about getting the the cereal boxes that that had the masks cut out on the back, so I could be, you know, Dar I wanted to be Darth Vader when I was a kid. Um, I just thought it was really cool. It scared me, and that made him cool. Um, 
you know, and I remember remember wanting to run around with that and smacking anything with I I could with a stick because it was a lightsaber, you know. So I was I was seven when Phantom Menace came out in theaters. So that was my first theater experience with Star Wars. Was she's a baby? I am. I am. Phantom Menace. Okay. Listen, listen. I I was however old I was, and I was remember I was standing and when when Phantom Menace came out because it was so long before you know another Star Wars movie came out, and so that to me from my memory was like the first time that there was like a line like out the theater since the originals right around the theater. And you had to buy tickets like months in advance, or else you were not going to see it on opening night. And we got to the theater, and that's when we had we had someone, some group of us that I worked with. We had someone get there early and kind of set up, you know, <laughs> sleeping there early, you know, so that we get a place in line. The line was like literally down the street. Uh, so, so that that was a big one too, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my brothers, my brothers are twelve and ten years older than me. So my oldest brother had just graduated from high school. And he, they decided that they wanted to take their little sisters to go see Star Wars. And I'm like, okay, I've seen four, five, and six. Like we had them on DVD. We watched them at home. And I remember sitting in the theater and it was like a 10 o'clock showing. It was like a 10 a.m. showing midweek. Nobody else was in the theater except for the four of us. And that first chord hits of the, the theme song. And I'm like, I'm in love. I don't even. <laughs> I don't even care what happens with the rest of the movie now. Like no, that, that magic like, just hits so fast. One hundred percent. Yeah. No, you said it right. It's the and, and and listen, it's the same thing with the Mandalorian and, mm-hmm. and Book of Boba Fett. Like that. Mm-hmm. That music is is so striking. It, oh, it gets me hyped every right, time. It comes oh. on. You know, it, it like you're that that kind of holds you in too. And I remember we were shooting Book of Boba Fett. You know, I, I was talking to John Favreau and we were talking about like, you know, you know, I was basically nerding out with him, telling him how crazy this is and whatever. And he goes, and he goes, just wait until you see it and wait until till the score comes out. Oh, and yeah. So once he said it to me, I'm like, oh, my God, I got to like, like, <laughs> wait and see the tone of how it was going to be scored. And when I finally heard it, uh, it literally played in my head when 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 we did. The first episode, the first episode that I was on set with for Book of Boba Fett, I literally played the the uh, the 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 theme to Mandalorian in my head, in between takes, over and over. <laughs> and that was my motivation. Right. Every time they yelled, That's cool. I'd walk away and I'd pace around, and it would just be playing like in my head the entire time to kind of keep me in it. And I go do it, and they walk away, and you know. So you're right that the music too. You oh, know, that's the, original, the tone. Yeah, uh, Star Wars for sure is, is so big. And so, like Tim mentioned, with the giggling as soon as your character walks on screen, I did not giggle. I did not giggle. I had that moment of the oh, it's a Wookiee. Oh, that's a mean Wookiee. Um, uh, <laughs> I am suddenly very uncomfortable. Like it was because I grew up with Chewbacca, and I expected Chewbacca. You expect that that warm like teddy bear of a Wookiee. Mm-hmm. And then you see your character and you're like, oh, he's scary. <laughs> he's scary. I like it. But in that same sort of mindset as Tim's question, all of the other Wookiees that we've seen on screen have been the good guys. And like you said, this is the on-screen debut for this for the comic book character. So how did you prepare yourself for being the mean Wookiee? Right. So that's a great question. I mean, 
You're right. Every time we've seen, we've seen, you know, any Wookiees and, and you know, obviously um, Peter Mayhew and, and Chewbacca, you know, he, 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 he was the good guy. Right. And we only saw hints of his, of his um, anger, like very, very hints when he had to, right. When he had right. to, when he had to jump in and save someone or, 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 or be menacing to some degree, but for the most part, he, he showed a lot of emotion, you know, and uh, I had actually, um, so, you know, uh, pretty crazy, you know, uh, is that I had a conversation with, with, with Angie, his, his, his wife uh, a few days ago. And, and I was saying to her that, that he played that emotion extremely well, you know, empire was probably the movie where you saw the full range of it, you know, mm -hmm. from him kind of being sad because Han Solo got yeah. Casey Carbonite and then also being taken away, trying to save him. And, you know, and it's even when he's putting back together, um, C-3PO, like, like they just, he just has a lot of range of motion on that spectrum where, you know, Chrysanthemum is just basically taking all the, the anger and the, and the muscle out of Chewbacca and it's just amping that side of it up. He doesn't, he doesn't really have too much of the other side and mainly because, you know, his backstory, he's just been, he's just been kind of uh, double crossed so many times in, 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 in his life that he mm -hmm. just, he just has a chip on his shoulder. He doesn't trust anyone. Um, so, so that's how I played it. And I said, I said, you know, well, how, how would you be and how would you kind of carry yourself if you just don't trust anyone? Every single person you meet, you assume at some point that they're going to stab you in the back. Right. And so a lot of that was not turning your back to people, always keeping an eye on them, you know? So that's where like the side eye came, came into whenever I would kind of side eye, you know, guys, when I'm walking past them or even certain scenes where I was walking away, I never turned my back fully. I would always kind of go sideways and walk a certain way. So it's little, little things like that. And again, as a performer, if you, you don't have your face, it's all in like your, your stance and your, your, your mannerisms and how you, you know, act with your body and, and your eyes really. So, so I would, I just, just thought about that and, and just put myself into that space of, of, of mistrust and always having a chip on my shoulder and, and, and I would stare in the mirror and kind of just you know, do certain things with my eyes and look around and say, oh, I like that. I'll use it for this scene or that scene. So, And uh, I mean, with the amount of prosthetic, with the amount of hair, there's a lot of facial features that are hidden behind that, that you have to emote so much more. And you did a fantastic job. I mean, you can tell that he's, he's a jaded, beaten character. You can see it in his face that he doesn't trust anybody. He's not going to turn his back on them. And that's impressive to me. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's it was it was it was it was more of just trying to create kind of what his edge was, and then again, reacting of that, you know, because because even even you know uh, when I'm inside of uh, 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 Garza Garza's place, you know, mm -hmm. that at that point I'm kind of uh, betrayed, right, and I'm kind of disappointed and I'm like ready to snap <laughs> so right. so when I'm sitting there you know the whole time I'm like okay what does that feel in real life like how would I sit would I sit this way or would I sit that way or, and, I, and I'm just mm -hmm. drinking my sorrows away what would a dude look like if it was a person of our drinking his sorrows away ready to snap and and, yeah. and, and have a bar fight and, and just waiting for somebody to and, look uh, at and him just wrong. the history and again you know again even with John Fair, just the history of of the backstory of him and, and Trandoshans, you know, you know, so I'm sitting there 
I've been betrayed. I'm drinking my sorrows away. There's this, these other people that have had such a sordid history with not only myself, but just, you know, Wookiees in general. Right. You know, how would I react to that? <laughs> so, and I, so, I feel like that's, that's something that a, a, a casual Star Wars character or casual Star Wars fan would miss. They would miss the history between Transogians and Wookiees. But mm -hmm. to have that scene portrayed, that was, again, that's one of those moments where you, you have to look at it with the, wait, I don't know who that character is. And now I have to research who he is and why he's acting that way. And getting people more into the Star Wars lore is kind of brilliant. On yeah, you know, it, it, and that's great. And that's why I like it so much. I mean, one of the other things, like uh, the one, one of the questions that I got and that I see the fans say, like, you know, I have a giant gun and why would I, why would I try to beat Boba into submission with my hands? But if you think about the character, you think about what a gladiator was, a gladiator was put into a pit and it's a show, right? Mm -hmm. But if you think of what a gladiator is like, and, and just in the green, you know, they're, they're, they're showmen. They don't want to quickly kill someone because then you got to please the crowd. You quickly kill somebody, it's over, then that's not a show. So right. it's like a cat, it's like a cat and, and mouse thing, right? When cats capture mice, they don't eat them right away. They injure them and they bat them in the head. They think they let the mice think that they can kind of get away. They grab them again and they bat. So that right. was that that's the thinking. He likes to fight with his hands. If he if he had a choice, he'd rather beat you into submission. And that's his that's the best way to show dominance because that's how he was trained. He's a gladiator, right? He'll pull right. out his gun if he has to, if he's like, you know down like 13 to one maybe but for the most part he's going to try to do what he can with with his with his you know his brass knuckles and and armor Ooh, you know yeah. that's just that's just his first thought that's just what he's done for years he was he was a gladiator uh for years and years and that's why i also like you know how garza says that right she kind of says right. it in that scene she says well you, you know i know you've been in the pits and you're used to the chairs and you're used to sitting that's what he wants. That's what he's used to. That's like, you right. know, uh, burn into his brain. So when, when he, so when he's tasked with, Hey, we got to take down the great Boba Fett, that's a great man. I could go in and shoot him, but what kind of story is that to tell? I want to tell people that I, I, I beat him in this submission. <laughs> I kind of knocked him around a bit and then, I, and then I, I killed him. Right. And that's just kind of, kind of in my mind, that's not kind of how I, you know, I, I played it and, and kind of, you know, um, made it make sense, which I think it does. It totally does. Yeah. Really I'll give does. you that for sure. I, I think that the way that you played the, the bar scene, uh, you know, you were side-eyeing those Trandoshans pretty, pretty well. <laughs> and I said, they're watching that the whole scene. I'm like, this ain't going to end well for one of them poker dudes. Uh, <laughs> one of the poker dudes is going down, you know? Uh, so yeah, so that was pretty cool. I, I like the, I like the fact to, to, to uh, kind of piggyback on what, what Kathleen was saying. I love the fact that, a lot of what's happening right now in the Star Wars universe is getting us to go back and look at other shows, all these gentle nods to other shows and other things. And even the tie-in with the the, the Wookiee and, and Trandoshian feud is really cool, especially if you go back to the Clone Wars episode uh, where, you know, a couple of the um, Padawans get hunted because they, they get lost on Trandoshia. Mm -hmm. It's it's a really cool episode. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, and one of them is a Wookiee and it's, you know, and it's explained there that, you know, the Trandoshians hunt Wookiees for sport. And it's just, yeah. it's really kind of yeah. cool. Uh, and so, yeah, to see that all kind of played out on the screen, just really well done, sir. I have to say it was really funny too, watching the first scene of you being on Boba Fett 
because Tim talked about his reaction. I talked about my reaction. My husband is sitting next to me and goes, that's Black Kurdistan. I'm like, who? How do you know that? He's like, because he's in the comics. I'm like, nerd. Wow. <laughs> I, I swear I've seen him somewhere else in the Star Wars That's thing. just it. Your brain wants like, to think it. He wasn't in any like the early video games or that's, anything. That's like, called the Mandela effect. You believe that it happened. <laughs> I, I was about to say, I think I think you believe it is because the character is familiar, but him specifically, you have not seen now. Right. Mm, no, 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 there's been there's been other Wookiees in other games, other Wookiee yeah. characters, but not Black Chrysanthemum. Gotcha. So you've been most of your credits are in the special effects area. And you've worked on projects like Galaxy Quest and Jurassic Park 3, Terminator 3. And like, we don't get to hear a lot from the back end of the shows. So what were some projects that were close to your heart that you really enjoyed working on? Well, uh, I mean, a lot of the ones you just said, and only because, again, just just, you know, as a movie fan and just as a fan of like effects in general, as a kid growing up, these are all movies that I would watch in the theater and see like, oh my God, it'd be great. But we'll have worked on that, have worked on it, right? Because at that point, I'm like, ah, they're never going to do this again. So then, you know, 10, 15 years later, hey, guess what? They're doing a sequel to Terminator, Aliens, Jurassic Park, you know, and, and you get to work on it. So, so I think just for that reason alone, you know, all three of those uh, are, are pretty spectacular, you know, and, and, and I could truly say that it just in my career, all my favorite movies growing up, I got to work on a sequel of those movies, you know, like, oh, that's cool. My favorite sci-fi movie is, is Alien, Alien 2, Aliens, uh, you know, and then Predator, you know, and then Terminator 1 and 2, and then, you know, uh, so, and I got to work on all, a sequel of all of those, so it, it was pretty, pretty crazy. Um, so I don't, so I get to ask that question a lot and I can't pinpoint one because all of them for whatever reason, I think holds a pretty, pretty high, high place in, you know, in, in my heart in terms of that, because I'm very nostalgic in that. I mean, to the, to the extent that most of the movies that I watch nowadays are, are eighties films that I can watch 300 times. It's really rare that I watch a new movie. Uh, I, I get know, that. But but yeah, so I'm, so so a lot of it is that a lot of the movies that I think that that are at the top of my list are ones that I was a fan of a kid and got a chance to work on as as an adult, uh, and then others are just because of the people that I worked with. Um, Predators was awesome uh, because not only did I get a chance, you know, uh, Greg Nicotero gave me a chance to 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 be one of the predators, but I also was able to work on it and, and be a creative on it as well, you know helping build a lot of this stuff. Um, so, so, and I had a great time. We shot that with Rob Rodriguez and, and, and Austin and in Hawaii and, and, and Nimrod Antal directing. And it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the crew and everybody was pretty amazing. All right, fun. cool. So 
as we've been talking about here, clearly acting isn't the only thing that's in your your resume of things that you've done on screen. Nick mentioned a few of the projects you've been in, a few more uh, that some of our fans of the show might like to know that you've been involved with, are like Alita Battle Angel, The New Mutants. You mentioned Predators. There's The Walking Dead. I could read down your IMDb list and everybody would be like, oh, wow, he was part of that because that's what I did. I went, oh, wow, he was part of that, uh, which is always kind of a cool thing to do when I when I look at somebody's IMDb resume. He won an Emmy for his work on The Walking Dead. Yes, he did. I was, I was that is there. impressive. I was get, I was getting there. I'm too excited. Okay. <laughs> I know, but congratulations on your Emmy, sir. That's that's an amazing Thank thing. Um, so, what were your influences, though? And this is where all that was going. What were your influences, though, growing up that made you want to be involved in the special effects side of things instead of maybe being in front of the camera so much at first? Uh, well, you know. It, it, it's funny enough, right? So we had a, we had a, I grew up in the seventies and eighties and we had one television, black and white television at first. And on that television, you know, back before cable and whatnot, we only had like three stations, right? And one of the stations would play Superman, the original Superman, George Reed, black and white. And it's just curiosity. And I would watch that and I say, you know, I asked my mom, my dad, my brothers and sisters, like, how does, how does, how does, how does he fly? Or how does he pick up a car? Or how does he run through a wall? And, and how does he bend metal? And so, uh, you know, that just started my curiosity, trying to figure that stuff out, you know, and, uh, and the library, I'd go to the library and read, read whatever books I could uh, about movies and things like that. You know, I, I did want to be an actor, like, like I've said before, you know, as well. Um, and when I was at home, you know, uh, I'd do makeups on myself and wherever I could find around the house, I think I did like an old man makeup on myself with like cotton and syrup to glue it to my face. And I, and I film me trying to act like an old man and, 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 uh, you know, whatever <laughs> monsters I would do and try to perform those. And, and, uh, and, and just, just, just throughout time. Um, just the opportunities came more on the makeup effects side than, than anything. Um, I mean, okay. I did a few things in Pittsburgh. I did like a commercial, a couple of commercials, things like that, but just, just for opportunity, um, uh, makeup effects came in and, and that, and I did have, I did develop a passion for it. The more and more I learned about it, the more stuff I did at home, the more people encouraged me to do it. The more people told me, Hey, you know, you should, you should, uh, kind of look into that more, um, that were actually in the industry and in, in my art classes, things like that. And, and uh okay and that, and that's kind of how it spawned and, and then more and more movies came out that i think in my era that were pretty pretty groundbreaking in terms of makeup effects you know uh like i mm -hmm. said the terminators came out the the aliens came out and the you know the thing came out in the fog and yeah. you know john carpenter movies and then there was that area yeah. slasher movie. and that was yeah. like this bubble of all these movies happening coming out around my childhood and it's like oh my god you know, that's what I want to make. I want to make stuff like that, you know, and, and, cool. uh, and being from Pittsburgh and Tom Savini was there and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and I was at the, t I was in Pittsburgh at the tail end of when he was still, still doing stuff filming in Pittsburgh. And so, so I think, I think it was just, just, just that, that bubble of stuff that was happening at the time, just kind of, kind of geared me towards doing more mega effects. And, and then once I got to California, you know, uh, I, I did, I did try to, you know, um, um, you know, uh, keep my my foot on both sides of, of of acting, but 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 just the mega effects was just some that that just happened more, you know, and 
I was getting jobs and working, you know, at shops, different shops around town. And, and, uh, and then finally in 2002, I, I started working for KMB effects group and, and I've really been with those guys ever since. And quite honestly, couldn't imagine myself anywhere else. That's nice. Awesome. I, 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 I awesome. There's just, there's so much you can do with liquid latex and cornstarch and water and it just I tell you the first material I ever had was latex ever that I got that was actually like a made product for mega mm -hmm. effects and if I tell you I, I I coveted it like gold like I I would do little things on my arm <laughs> like stretch and stipple before I even knew what that was I just kind of on my own figured it out and I would do you know a little bit at a time and try to do different things uh uh, just with that, yeah, that's the first thing I ever had was latex, liquid latex, and I did everything I possibly could with it. I'm not going to lie. I was hoping that you were going to say it was the Star Wars cereal mask that made you want to be in special effects. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, 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 that, well this, that stuff came before the Star Wars stuff, but, but it did. Listen, I, I, I can't tell you how many things I made out of cardboard, Star Wars related. Whether right. it was a mask, I made a lightsaber. <laughs> I just made it, you know, rolled it up out of cardboard and made that a lightsaber. And I would take boxes and try to make little, little, little droids and robots and mm -hmm. and vehicles and stuff out of just boxes. My mom, I would just get boxes from her job. I was like, "Mom, you got extra boxes?" And she'd bring boxes home, and that was like my 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 material that I'd cut and try to make in a weird stuff in my room and and uh, um, and color it and. But yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it, I understand it's just, that. It's just a childhood imagination. Just, just oh yeah, just, just that thirst for wanting to learn more and how to do stuff and wanting to make things. Yeah. So when I was when I was a kid, um, I would get cardboard boxes, and after my older brother had moved out, our closet was a it was a big closet, but it was underneath a stairwell as well, so it kind of sloped down. So there's only so much you could put towards the back end. So I took cardboard boxes and I I. I did it all up to it was my inside of the millennial Falcon right at the, the back end of the, that was my millennium Falcon. That was, that was where my ship was. And, you know, cause my, and one of my favorite, mind, like, even like if you were to, if you were to go back and look at it today, it would be like, wow, what was I doing? But in your mind as a kid, that every switch, every light was every legit, was legit. It looked like, <laughs> legit. it was like in your mind, it was like, Oh my gosh. And I always say that because when I got older, I, there was, there was, I, I, I don't have any more, but but I had uh, some that I made as a kid. It was like a little little ship. It was like a Star Wars ship that I made mm -hmm. out of like paper clips and like some cardboard and tape. And as a kid, I could have swore it looked exactly like an X-wing. It it had the detail of the panels and the lights and the cockpit, you know. And I saw it as I was on. I was like, "What is? I mean, what is that? What was I, you know, it wasn't anything but like it. Kid, your imagination is like <laughs> make, put two two sticks together, and it's like, oh my gosh, that's yeah." <laughs> so yeah, I get having that. having those amazing special effects credits under your belt already, do you have your great white whale of a project that you've got your sights set on? Is there special effects that you really, really want to do? Uh, uh, no, because I, I, I mean, I guess I'm at an age where I don't see it ending quite yet. So I feel like if I say, okay, that'll be the one, <laughs> then it's like, ah, I guess my career is over. So mm. I, 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 we don't want that no and also too i i uh like like every project that comes in you know i i i covet right you know i give my attention and my utmost attention to i think that that's that 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 in that moment 
I cherish it as if that's the one, you know, because I'm, I think the reason why maybe I've gotten as far as I have, because I always, I never assume tomorrow is, is guaranteed. So I, everything that I get, I'm like, okay, this could be it, or that could be it. And right. so right. I never look, I, I mean, I know what I want to do in terms of my career, but it's in terms of a specific project. I never say, oh, that now, if you want me to want me to set my goals and say, what I would like to do, I would say it'd be awesome if I could get like, you know, be a Marvel character and, and, uh, you know, be a principal in a Marvel character or something like that. That'd or, be fun. Yeah. Or, or even, or even a, a, a new, you know, character that, that was just developed from a graphic novel or something like that. I would love to do that. Uh, you know, I'm always for that. That'd be really so cool. Of the special effects and makeup jobs that you've done, which one was the hardest, which one was the hardest to get the way that you wanted it to look? Uh, let me say the most challenging, perhaps. Yeah. The most challenging. Well, the, the most challenging things that to do for any makeup effects artist is, is the human stuff. And what I mean by human, it's like old age makeups and, and replicate heads and fake bodies and things like that. Because, you know, if you make a creature that no one has seen before that you're designing, no one can look at it and say, that's not what an alien looks like. Right. Because who knows what an alien looks like, right? But you can always look at someone's face and say, that doesn't look like an old man because everybody in our lives has seen an old man or a, or a young person or whatever it is. So you can correlate, look at it and tell instantly what's wrong. So that's always like the hard, the hardest thing to do. So, so I think, I think, you know, anything that, that I've done and K&B's done and, and any shop that I've worked at has done is just that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, the replica bodies and heads, things like that. I mean, we did a lot of stuff like that for Django and for hateful eight and for, once upon a time in Hollywood, mm -hmm. we had to make replicas of a lot of the of a lot of the people and things like that for 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 Quentin and and, and that's just always the hardest thing, the thing that takes the most time and the and the most um, attention to detail, because there's something slightly off, you know, if you're if you're making a replica of like you know of Christoph Waltz or whoever, and and like you know you get the eyes not spaced right or if the lips aren't right or the the paint job's not right or the hairline's weird. Or, uh, it, it's always, it just throws it off. And, and then, you know, when you're trying to go from that to him and him to that, it's, it just doesn't work. So, so I think when that stuff comes along, I always try to pay extra attention to it. I always try to just double check it and look at new side-by-side -side comparisons and, and literally just even down to where the eyebrows are, 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 are put, you know, so whenever, you know, we have different departments and, and that can be that handle you know, different things, you know, you have the, the sculptor that, that sculpts it, you have mold makers, you have the painters, you have the, 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 the you know, the hair people, mm -hmm. um, to the people that, that cast it, to the people that help assemble it. There's so many different aspects of that that could go wrong going from one department to the next. So it's really important to keep an eye on that to make sure everybody's working together and to make sure that the end product is what it needs to be. So, nice. so okay. that, I mean, that, that's, that, that honestly, again, that's one of the hardest things, you know, cause if you're doing, if you're going to say you're doing like a body, uh, uh, for, for some movies that we do projects that we do, we can do like a, you know, a dismembered body, you know, mm -hmm. and again, most people hopefully hasn't seen that in real life. Right. And so if you make a body that has to look a certain way in terms of gore, there's a lot of ways you can kind of you know, uh, you know, fix that or make it look right or weird. And then a lot of times what we make as 
as replicas and that sort of thing. Actually, the real thing looks fake, you know, because we get we get references of what the real thing looks like as morbid as that is. Um, we we did a movie called Savages, and and uh, Oliver Stone sent us, you know, references of real bodies, real bodies mm-hmm. that were that were um, this, you know, decapitated, dismembered, and 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 laid in the streets, um, and and that stuff to look fake. And then when we when you when you match that sometimes, and you look at it in front of the camera, it looks fake. So there's certain things that we do to say, okay, I understand that's real, but to camera and to the audience, we have to add these other things yeah. to kind of make it look real to the eye and the camera. So, so that, so that's the hardest thing, honestly. That's that's one of the harder things to do when we're doing like, doing like um, you know, more realistic things as opposed to creatures. See, and I've always, nice. I always would have thought that like the the creatures and specifically like Walking Dead with the zombies and the decaying, like I figured that that would be harder because there's so many little things. I didn't think about making things look real being the challenge to it but that actually makes a lot of sense that's actually really cool to learn yeah i mean with with the walking dead and and, 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 i mean there's a lot of latitude that we got because the reality is that if a body is decayed to that extent they wouldn't be up and walking even if it was still alive like if you're decayed to that degree you 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 just wouldn't be able to walk because there's still just just physics right there's muscles and there's tendons that pull certain things so this is right enough so I think there is such a latitude that we can go, and I think, I think it's it's really about you know, and and, and, and the Greg's vision is like just to make it look, look interesting, you know, and that's what he always says. It has to look interesting. It has to okay. look uh, uh, aesthetically interesting, and I think again that's the latitude there because some of the things we do in real life wouldn't happen, but to make it look interesting and look great and 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 have an aesthetic to it, a certain look that he wants to have uh there's a lot of things that we do to kind of kind of add on add to that because uh, re- again reality is that if a body was reanimated for 30 years it would be dust <laughs> you know right you, you know if you, if you look on if you they have like those sort of studies of bodies right and, mm-hmm. and like the body farm and they literally yeah. will have bodies out and they'll show you after one day or two days or three days or four days or five days and probably by like the one to two week mark it's just bones and and nothing left so 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 to, to, so anyway so it's it's a little bit of that suspension of belief sort of thing or disbelief sure. sort of thing. um so there's a lot of fascinating though i absolutely i absolutely find it fascinating because it's it is so cool what you guys can make look realistic even though it's prosthetics and it's just I've always thought it's, it's a it's a form of, of you know because really you're adding with prosthetics you're adding you know you're not taking away but even though we're adding we're still able to make things look smaller but it's mm-hmm. just literally it's just you know certain certain tricks that all makeup effect stars do um uh to the eye you know you know to make the stomach look smaller you you in fact build the chest out so a lot of times when we make people look emaciated in the stomach we're actually making them bigger right but yeah. that's and, and, and you know in theory that's counterproductive but 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 that's what we do you know if, if uh and then it's just tricks to the camera right and so if an eye if an arm's missing you know sometimes we do have have uh actual amputees but in that moment that we can't you know you'll have an arm behind the back like you know like this and you have the stump coming out there and as long as the camera stays on that side 
you can't see the real arm. So it's so a lot of it is is, is placement of camera. It's you know it, it's it's just kind of a again a team of people just making sure that you know we're able to pull off the illusion. As somebody Thanks. who can never get her eyeliner to match, even I'm <laughs> amazed, absolutely <laughs> amazed. <laughs> so you have a lot of experience in the effects world. What advice would you like to give to like a younger you or someone entering the makeup effects world? Um, I always like to say it's just 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 never stop learning and never stop being being. Um, open-minded to learn more and not only about your your specific uh um skill but also understanding other skills because it, it it's it's always works together right because you know if you're doing a, an effect and you're not you don't understand you know about cameras and camera angles things like that then the effect doesn't work it can blow the effect or if you don't have a relationship with that person you know, it makes it tough. Or even nowadays, visual effects, visual effects is such a tool that we use uh, and we don't want to make their job harder and they don't in turn want our job to be harder. So a lot of times uh, having some knowledge, even if you're a makeup effects artist to know about how visual effects works and lighting works, because sometimes our gags work best in certain lighting, uh, you know, and uh, and so, so it's just, it's just to me, I always say just being, just constantly being a student and being voracious and, and wanting to learn more and and understand more about your craft and your art uh and and a lot of it is that a lot of it is 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 just uh being being an illusionist to some degree you know that's one of the things that that actually in pittsburgh because when i grew up they didn't have a a makeup shop or anything like that mm -hmm. and one of the first places that i went to uh was a magic shop and when I went in there, I was like, I, I saw different, different illusions and different things. And I'm like, oh, hey, wait a minute. It, this is like, you know, being a magician. Like, a, you know, and, and that's, that was my direct relationship. So I always drive across town to the south side and I'd go to this magic shop and I'd see different magic tricks that they have in there. It was one. And actually, that's the first time I saw like a, like a, like a fake hand. I think it was like this gag where like, you know, it's like, like this, like, you know, you have a hand. That's like, you know, and then you shake someone's hand and they pull it off and it's like, oh, hoo, hoo, it's a fake hand. You know, so I saw that sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh. You know? so, so, so I think I think that's the first time I started seeing stuff like that in a magic shop. And then and then down the line, they ended up having this Bob Kelly makeup kit that I that I uh, uh, couldn't afford, but I would go in there and covet every time I look at it and ask the guy <laughs> if I can look inside to see what was inside of it. And, I write down what it was. Oh, rubber mask grease paint. Oh, those brushes. And, and eventually, because no one bought it, it sat in there forever. And finally, he sold me just that little bottle of liquid latex that I was telling you about. And that's what I had forever. It was expensive, but I kept it forever you know, and tried to use little bits at a time and just do little things on myself. But um, so anyways, it, yeah, yeah. It's just be a student, constantly learn, learn about as much as you can, not only about your position about but but about filmmaking in general i think that's really important excellent all right so i have a question for you that is not movie related now people can't tell by looking at you sitting there but you're six foot seven according to imdb yeah, um true. all right so you're six seven i'm six three 
My dad is also six foot seven. My boys are six, three and six, five height really isn't an issue in our family. Uh, but we're also kind of used to people making silly or, you know, remarks or questions because of our height. When we go around all these different places and, you know, my dad's a big dude, uh, you know, tall and other, uh, (laughs) he's a big dude. He's a walking billboard. He's a, he's a large best hugs though. Yeah, he does. He's a large, massive man. We love him. But like I said, we've kind of gotten used to all these silly questions and comments. What is the silliest thing someone's or the, the silliest thing that people say to you that you've gotten used to hearing because of being a tall man? Well, I mean, it's it, how, how tall are you? I mean, that's the one thing. But the, what, but, but the thing that happens quite often, quite often, is when I'm at, in the grocery store. So Bingo. I'll walk down, I'll walk down <laughs> the aisle. And even recently... I'll walk down the Alvin grocery store, just mind my own business, and then someone will look at me. And, and, and honestly, and maybe this maybe this is my conceitedness. I'm thinking that they recognize me for whatever something. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, hey, this is the first time this ever happened. That's cool. And so I'll, they'll look at me and I'll kind of look at them and they'll look at me and I'll look at them. And then I'm thinking that they're going to say, aren't you Carrie Jones? But they go, can you get that from the top shelf and pull that down? <laughs> like, oh, Every time. Sure. <laughs> happens all the time all the yep. time so that's so i guess i guess that is a question right so i guess that qualifies that is the the most uh, question i'm asked very often uh can you get that off the top shelf all the time yeah, i love it when um, somebody sees somebody tall and they're like wow you're really tall it's like really i yeah. didn't notice the, the two things that <laughs> yeah, i always no, get it's, yeah it's always I mean, actually, I don't, surprisingly enough, I don't get the question of like how how tall are you as much anymore. But but I used to. I mean, you know, it's funny because when I was growing up, I hated being tall. I hated it because when I when I, you know, I, I just a shy dude and I just wanted to fit in, right? And so it was always like I was like up here and everybody was here for a while, and then it, and then it was like everybody wanted to play sports and I didn't want to play sports right. for a while. I mean, I eventually did and I was pretty good, but but I just didn't want to. I don't want to do anything because of my height. I want, I did everything I could to, to sort of minimize the fact that I was taller. Sure. I didn't like it. Uh, and then finally I was like, I'm tall. Who gives a crap? Right. Actually, I like it. You know? So after a while, when I learned to live with it and was cool with it, I think then things started to happen for me. And it was more like, Oh, you're tall. Hey, I need you to do this. And you, can you be in this show mm-hmm. or this movie or do that? So then it, 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 you know, now it's, 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 it's like, you know, what would I have done if I wasn't my height, you know, and it's because my son, he's, he's pushed knocking on my door. I mean, he's, I, I mean, I want to say he's like six, five, six, six, and he's only 15. So, oh, yeah. yikes. Uh, but I try to tell him, you know, I try to tell him like, don't, don't, uh, don't do what I did. Embrace it. Embrace it. You're tall. Great. Use it. You know, so he's a really good athlete. So I think he's going to, he's going to heed my words and be, be, you know and embrace that's awesome yeah my my youngest son is six foot five and i think he's actually going he's 19 years old i think he's actually going through a secondary growth spurt right now i think he's getting ready to shoot up an inch or two more and the only bad part about him being six foot five is that when he was younger um whenever he would get in trouble because he had this whole time where you know while he was a teenager let's let's leave it at that um but trying trying to have a conversation with him. And I'm like, I'd like grab his shoulders and pull him down to my eye level. I'm like, I am not looking up at you. When you're yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will not look up at you. You will look, you will look me in the eye. I'm okay with that. But 
I'm not looking yeah. up. That's not happening. Yeah, that's it's not funny. A thing. I had that same experience when my son finally started to shoot up. I basically said to him one day, I think I had to have that have a conversation with him, a serious conversation. And jokingly, of course, but I said, you know, you know the whole story about about goldfish, you know? Goldfish will grow within the confines of the container that right. they're in. You know, you put them in a small container, they'll grow this big. You put them in a big container, they can get pretty big. That's sure, yeah. Different types of gold. So I said, you know, if you keep acting like if I'm going to put you in a small box <laughs> and you're not going to grow anymore. <laughs> but if I'm going to put you in a small little box, you're not going to grow. Because, Excellent. yeah, he, he just was shooting up. And I'm like, man, like these conversations, it's like it's like it's a little bit more intimidating. Before I could look down on you and oh, that's all it took. Hey, don't do that again. You know, but now it's like he's looking me in my eyes and I'm like, all right. <laughs> Yeah, sit down when I talk to you. Nice. My mother-in-law has a story of when my husband was little that he tried to boss her around and she told him that people who are this tall don't tell people who are this tall what to do. And my husband's six foot, my mother-in-law's five, six. And it's like, it doesn't work anymore. She tried to tell him something the other day and he did the people who are this tall don't tell people who are this (laughs) tall what to do. And I'm like, oh boy, you are going to get yourself slapped. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't care that you are a 40-year-old man. She is going to slap you. Still your mama. Got to respect the mama. That's right. They're scary. Moms are scary. (laughs) I'm going to try to convince my three-year-old that moms are scary. Doesn't work. I know how that works for you. I'm going to (laughs) try. So back to the Star Wars universe a little bit. Because I have a slightly silly question. And now that I know how big of a Star Wars fan you are, this is going to be an even... I think it's going to be it's a very be fun, fun question. So if you could live anywhere in the Star Wars universe, what planet would you live on? And what do you think you would do for a living? Wow. Wow. What an essential question. Uh, you know, for, for honestly, for a while, I thought that I, for a while, I thought that I want to live on Tatooine. And I was like, man, it'd be cool to live on Tatooine and just, you know, just because I grew up in the city, so much was going on. So if I had to make a choice, I've never lived that life of just, you know, being a farmer and just, right. just being out in the desert and, and have a live off the land, things like that. And, and I was like, ah, oh, Tatooine would be cool, you know, but, but now, I don't know, I still feel that way to some degree. You know, especially if I had a spaceship, I could I could fly to any place I wanted to if, if I if I did want to. But but I I think I want to stick with that. I think I want to stick with Tatooine. All right, cool. Definitely. I like I it. I thought that living on Endor would be fun. Endor would be fun. I mean, I guess it, would, it, it Endor would feel more like here. But I don't know. Yeah, like I said, Tatooine. Endor would be fun. But I think for me, Tatooine. I think Tatooine it sounds it sounds drab, but I think I think that that would probably be my choice. I think that the um the current Michigan weather has made it so that I will never want to live on Hoth. Good. Yeah, no, Hoth would not be Hoth. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mm. and we got some terrible, terrible cold. And I just and actually this the just this past winter I got snowed in 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 Lake Tahoe, where it was like the snow banks were like taller than me. 
So oh, it yeah. would hundred percent not be not be healthy. <laughs> no, yeah. no way. No thanks. My no mom. Thanks. My mom has a cousin who lives in Lake Tahoe, and she was sending pictures of the giant snow mounds and the. I should probably get my snowblower out and like. That's insane. No, thank you. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't even know. It was so high. Snowblowers weren't really working. It probably no. blew up. Like it was bad. But yeah, no, no hoss. And it's funny, every time I watch that, I watch Empire and they're there, you know, it starts off on hoss. For some reason, my toes get cold every time. Like that that sort of reflex of like getting frostbite in my toes living in Pittsburgh. Just just every time I see that movie, it comes back. I'm like, oh, no, nah, I'm good. No. I'm good. <laughs> Sandy Planet sounds like a better option. Yeah, I, I listen. If I, if I if I had to refuel, you know, and I and I absolutely had to stop there, and that was the system that was like where I had to stop before I was then I then I'd do it. But I don't think I, I'd get out of my I'd get out of my you know my ship. I think I'd probably pay the extra credits to have like a a Jawa kind of come out and refuel <laughs> and pay the extra credits so I didn't have to get out of my my ship to kind of take there you off go. and keep going where I was nice. going. Is that how the Jawa got the the part off the pike ship? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, listen, maybe. Very much so. Jawas, listen, Jawas are they, they're bold. They're, bold, they're resourceful bold. little things. Yeah. yeah, very resourceful. So we have a Facebook group that is about 199,000 people, and it's just filled with memes of this mixed with this. And so, which two characters or projects that you have worked on would you like to see come together to either work together or become nemesis well i well one that someone said that i think would be be cool it would be it would be kersantin and and uh predator i think Ooh. that'd be like you know Ooh. you know kind of kind of like a, a, like avp sort of thing you know like what would happen if these two these two warriors because again same with the Predator. The Predator is a hand-to-hand combat dude when it comes. I mean, he used his, his shoulder cannon, but ultimately, when he faced off with another warrior like Arnold, he wanted to do hand-to-hand. I'm telling you, hand-to-hand combat. You you face down someone, you best them in hand-to-hand combat. That is that's like the biggest honor, and and he takes that trophy. So I think that if you saw Kersantin and Predator, you know, you know his head against the Predator head, I think that that would be pretty spectacular i'd watch that i would totally do. watch i would totally watch I that think, and if i got cast to play both that'd be tough it'd be kind of some nutty professor type stuff i'd have to like <laughs> you know be this way and, 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 and do the other side of it and, then... <laughs> and all of a sudden all i can imagine is like one half of your body croissant and the other half predator you just have to like yeah. turn to the camera each way <laughs> <laughs> one sucks made it one way like that's funny that's pretty good uh awesome yeah that'd be fun all right carrie we're we're almost done with you here but we got to we got to the point of the show where we'd like to run our guests through a little bit of a quiz about themselves oh my okay this is when i expect our guests to just suddenly disappear like the camera just gonna blink off one of these times i can't hear you i gotta go i can't hear anything small cheese with all right so uh this quiz is called once upon a predator and uh, so what it is, it's, it's five questions. Each question is multiple choice. So you, and these are shows or projects that you've been involved with according to IMDb. 
and it's the year that the show or project launched is what we're looking for. Okay. According to IMDb, when you were involved with it. So, okay. Uh, So like I said, there's five questions. Each of them have three options. So there's an ABC for each question. All right. So you'll have three choices. Now, if you get three of those questions, correct, we want to send you one of these cool. I gave to the red shirt widows and orphan fund coffee mugs. All right. And on the back side of it, as Kathleen is showing has our, our podcast logo on it. Okay. All if right. you get four qu- tape inside of it though yes or or pre-drank out of it, it'll be completely new um and then if you get four questions correct we want to send you that coffee mug along with the book that nick is holding up that is written by our group founder also nick's dad uh but it's written <laughs> it's written about a it's called dances with alien it's written about a man who's the last man on earth or last uh yeah the last man on earth but he's a dog but not a four-legged dog of you know a certain theme park that you might have some affiliation with. Uh, but it asks the question, how could intelligent beings develop the technology to travel the cosmos, but yet not recognize a guy in a dog suit? So it's kind of an interesting little story. However, so that's that's what you get if you win. If you get two questions or less, we like to do what we call a fun sequence. We take a picture of you, we make a meme out of you, and we put you into our group like that. Are you okay with that? uh okay uh, well so <laughs> are the me- are what, it depends on what the memes are the meme oh. would be very it'll be very tastefully done it's we, right. we gotta okay, remember our, show, our show is family friendly so we, we will keep it family friendly and you'll be in good company dan pavenmeyer from phineas and ferb is a, is a former meme recipient um okay. i don't know if you know amber hollinger uh she's also a meme recipient um and a few other people as well but uh they're all tastefully done nothing right, nothing that'll be it. uh nothing that will make you go oh my what did i agree to <laughs> so nothing scandalous yes nothing exactly will make you get in contact with our lawyers because um exactly we don't have any so and then as a reminder so what we're looking for here is according to imdb the launch year of the show or movie that it said you were involved with okay, okay. all right Scooby-Doo, Curse of the Lake Monster. Was it 2010, 2001, or 2011? Well, I know it wasn't 2001. Uh, You said 2010 or 2011? I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with 2011. Oh, off by one. It was 2010. I knew it was one of the two. (laughs) Because sometimes they do, they it's it's when I work on it that it comes out like a year later. Mm-hmm. So in right. my mind, it's like the year that I worked on it. All right, very good. Next one. All right, <laughs> the Watchmen series. Is that 2021, 2014, or 2019? 2019. That is very correct. good. All right, one and one. Fear the Walking Dead, 2010, 2020, or 2015. You said Fear of the Walking Dead? Yeah. Okay. Uh, say that again. Say that again. 2010, 2020, or 2015? Uh, 2015. Yes. Correct. All right. So two and one. All right. Mayor of Easttown, 2001, 2021, or 2015? 2021. That is Very good. All right. That's the coffee mug, sir. Mm-hmm. You escaped from the meme verse. 
I think that I sounds know, like now, now you make the meme sound so cool though. All right, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound cool, but it's not really. This is this one's probably the gimme. Book of Boba Fett. Oh, 2022. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you I, I, go, wait, I, I just waited for I was letting you just give me the options. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no worries. All right. So that, that gets you the, the, the coffee mug and the book. So after we say goodbye to everybody, hang around a quick second and we'll get your, your shipping information. Okay. That was good. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about what you're doing now? Uh, right now, my Instagram, Carrie L. Jones, at Carrie L. Jones. I'm trying, I'm, I'm keeping a little bit of a low profile until after the season's over. You know, I don't want to spoil it for the fans. So, but, you know, I, I drop little things on there here and there, but I'll probably put more on, you know, after, after the finale is. So everybody watch finale this Wednesday. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, we will definitely link your Instagram in our show description so that our listeners can find you. All right. And we want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help the show continue to grow. It's that little button down there. Just hit it once. Don't hit it twice. Uh, but we want to make sure that you, if you do that, it helps us to continue to grow, helps us to continue to get amazing guests like Kerry Jones here today to talk about uh, all these cool things that he's been a part of and, and much more. So please subscribe. It helps us more uh, than you'll ever really know. And be sure to go check out uh, Carrie's site over on, on Instagram, follow his page for some more cool uh, content as well. Now, however, if for whatever reason, you're unhappy with the content of today's show, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That of course is the bounty hunter, Black Kersantan, where for the right price, every offender is looked at like he's a Trendocean and likely to have his arms ripped off. But on the off chance you catch him on a good day, the offenders may get away with just a punch from those sparkly little knuckle dusters he has. Either way, I suppose, this is really going to hurt. So, friends, please report responsibly, if nothing else, for our sake. Well, thanks again, guys. Bye, guys. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Funny Science Fiction Podcast. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out the kids when they need it most. And just imagine, the comfort you'll give for Red Shirt Room in number 72. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins Boba Fett in the fight against the Pikes, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope. Because Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his mascot. And speaking of sponsors and show partners, check out this short video from our good friends over at Level Up Lightsabers. Information about Level Up Lightsabers and their online training sessions can be found in the episode description below. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of Funny Science Fiction, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our future episodes, please contact us by means of our Facebook group, Funny Science Fiction. You can find us on Twitter or Instagram using the handle at Funny Sci-Fi, or you can go to DraytonAllen.com and click the Contact Me link at the bottom of the page. Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2020 by Drayton Allen. Original music by Jordan Michaels. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned in this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of or by funny science fiction or its sponsors. 
The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at DraytonAllen at DraytonAllen.com.